All right, if you uh, did not come with a Bible this morning, I hope uh, our guys, I hope there's several in the back. Kevin's got some in his hand. Uh, if you didn't come with a Bible, we'd like to uh, give you one and so that you can follow along with us this morning. And uh, raise your high hand. Raise your high hand. Raise your... I, I, we went out to dinner last night, and I'm, I'm still... We ate last night, and it bordered on gluttony. And I'm still paying the price for it because my belly wants all the blood, <laughs> and my brain's getting none this morning, which is usually the case. But We want you to be able to follow along. All right. Uh, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 again. We have been in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 for uh, a long time. And uh, we've been studying charity, and we have been uh, coming to the conclusion, I hope you have under, understanding this, that what the world looks at as charity actually has nothing to do with Biblical charity. and uh, But before I get into this, as you've already turned to 1 Corinthians 13, now we're going to start in verse number 5. But I just want to get... Deb and I had a, had a great blessing uh, this Tuesday. Uh, just, uh, just one of those things that we've prayed for uh, for many, many, many years. Uh, and it came to pass this Tuesday... Uh, our youngest son, Matthew, has three children. John, as you've often heard me speak, and Emily, uh, the middle child, Emily. And Sam's the youngest. And this Tuesday was Sam's birthday. He's eight years old. And uh, born and raised in Christianity, uh, nobody's hidden anything from him. Uh, uh, he's grown up in church. He's grown up people reading the Bible. He's grown up people praying. He'd grown up, mom and dad telling him stories, you know, he's heard it all. And uh, as I've said to you, uh, and grandma made him a special card, bought him a special card, and we put some money in there like we always do because we're so far away, and, and you send it off to him. And, and we got to notice that, you know, he had got his birthday card, and he got his money, and he was happy. Later on in that day, I got a text. And uh, Debbie got a phone call, and my youngest boy, Matt, texted me, and he said in his text, Sam Dean is saved. Now, if you know the Dean family at all, there's always some quirky story that goes along with something. The Deans never do anything smoothly. We never do anything, uh, I mean, we're not, we're not uh, overboard on anything, but usually there's just some crazy story that goes along with, uh, so I, Debbie, Matt had called Debbie and asked him, and, and we were, she was quizzing him, and I was sitting there reading my Bible and listening to the conversation uh, through her, and uh, later on I said to Deb, who led Sam to Christ? And uh, she said, I, I don't know. I, I didn't, I, he, Matt was crying as he was telling Grandma, his mother. And, uh, but here was the story. My, uh, 
maybe it's they got this from me. I'm very careful with children. Because children want to please their parents. Really, they do. Until they get to be teenagers and then they disregard that. But anyhow. <clears throat> but anyhow, little kids want to please, children want to please parents. So when it comes to uh, them believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, coming to a saving knowledge, I was very careful with my boys. I rather put them off until I, I was convinced in my own heart, my own spirit, that they, were, they understood what they were doing. They weren't just wanting to be part of the group. You know, or they just weren't wanting to please mom and dad. So Matt told me as I texted him, he's, he, and we talked to him, Matt said, I, I, I kept putting Sam off and putting Sam off. So Matt's in the bathroom, sitting on the throne, better known, no, better known as the toilet. And uh, Sam comes barging into the bathroom crying. And all of a sudden he looks at dad and now dad's doing what dad's doing on the toilet. And Sam's standing there and he's shaking and he's crying and he says, dad, I gotta get saved now. Now, if you know my Sam, which you don't, but if you did know him, he's the personification of Dennis the Menace. He just is. He's a quirky little kid, just great, but he's a Dennis the Menace, man. So now Matt's sitting on the throne. And it's like, ah, what do I do? So he yells for Steffi, and Steffi takes Sam out. But I didn't know this until I'm texting him, and Steffi leads him to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But I didn't know any of this, and I, so I'm, I'm texting back to Matt, and I'm saying, Matt, let me ask you, did you lead Sam to Christ sitting on the toilet? I said, because if you did, that's the epitome of multitasking. I've never heard multitasking be any better than that. If you can be on the throne, doing what you do on the throne, and lead your son to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So anyhow, we went back and forth, LOL, LOL, you know, laugh out loud. He said, finally he got back to me and he said, Pop, I really thought about doing it. And then I thought, nah, that would be sacrilegious. So I'll let Steffi do it. So we had a big, big uh, blessing. Uh, all of our grandchildren, as far as we know, they've all made a profession of faith. They range from 17 to 8 years old. And uh, all 10 of them have come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And uh, if you would offer me a million dollars in exchange for my grandson's salvation... I would turn you down this morning. Because eternity is a long time. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse number 5. 1 Corinthians 13, 5. We have been, we've been looking at, uh, once again, charity. We've come to realize, it's, as we read here, it is not what uh, the world thinks it is. And, and as I've read down through here again, and we, I think there were 15 things, at least by my count, and we, we were breaking them down point by point, and 
We started with charity suffereth, suffereth, suffereth long. And as I looked at these words, I came to the realize, realization you can plug the word God. Because you see, charity, this is, a, this is a God characteristic. These are God's characteristics. Outside of me this morning, and I'll just say me, outside of me knowing Jesus Christ as my personal Savior next Sunday will be 44 years, I do not want to, I do not want to suffer long. You won't get me to suffer anything long. Oh, you may suffer it long, but I wouldn't do it willingly. Charity suffereth long. Charity is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Doesn't boast of itself. Charity is not puffed up. Knowledge puffeth up. Charity edifieth. We, we went into verse 5, and this is where we're going to be a little bit today, God willing. Doth not behave itself unseemly. We've already talked about that. Seeketh not her own. We talked about Ruth the last time I spoke. Uh, uh, seeketh not her own. Ruth sought the Redeemer. That's all, that's all we care about here. We want you to know Jesus Christ. But I want to look at two things this morning is not easily provoked, and thinketh no evil. Now let's just begin with a word of prayer. Our Father, first and foremost, I want to thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to thank you for that you, you saw our need, and you supplied that need in the person of Jesus Christ. Where I could not pardon my own sin. I could not be merciful to the point where I could get my... No no amount of works could get me into heaven. I didn't even need a Bible to tell me that, Father. I knew I wasn't going to heaven. I knew I wasn't pleasing God. Father, I'm asking this morning, no man is sufficient for the task ahead. All the year, all the hours, rather, that we have in a week... And it all boils down to a Sunday morning for one hour when we literally open the Word of God. And Father, uh, you always do your best. But this morning, Father, I want to do my best in representing you. I've prayed, I've studied, I've meditated, I've gone back to where I started in Christ Jesus. I've prayed again, I've studied more, I've thought and thought and thought. And Lord, uh, it isn't that I come unprepared this morning, and yet I am not prepared. No man can, no man can save somebody. No man can change a life. No man can open the words of this book and, and make them uh, clear. Only the Spirit of God can do those things. So Father, in Jesus' name... Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Father, do that again which no man can do. Save the lost and strengthen the believer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
The word provoke, as and I think most of us do, really don't need a, a big explanation on the word provoke, simply meaning to move someone into thinking or doing something that results in either something being beneficial or something being harmful. The Bible talks a lot. It's, it's, one, of the, it's one of the marks of charity. Charity, it says, is not easily provoked. It doesn't say charity is not provoked. But it says charity is not easily provoked. Now, I know where your mind is going to go to this, but I want to, I want to, there's always primary and secondary uh, meanings of words, perhaps, or applications of Scripture. And I want to, uh, you know, I want to look at, at both of those today, and we're going to go back into the Old Testament. Because, now, provoking the majority of the time, you just get your Bible program or your concordance, if you're like me, your book, and you just look up the word, provoke, provoked, provoking, and nine times out of ten, as a matter of fact, I only found two times where it was actually good. And you don't have to go there, because I'm not going to quote the whole verse. But 2 Corinthians 9.2, he's saying to some believers, Your zeal hath provoked very many. You know, you can provoke me to good works. You can, your zeal for Jesus Christ, the way my brother and you, the way my brother led this morning, uh, the, the, the congregational singing, and the way you sang, it's one of those mornings you can ask my wife, when I get to crying, I'm not, I'm not hurt, you know, I get transported. I got transported to the third heaven this morning just by your singing. That's a good thing. I've never walked on water. I'm not the fourth part of the Trinity. That's a joke. Some of you don't ever get that. You don't know, just because you're one of the leaders, hey, you're flesh and blood. Your singing, your zeal this morning provoked me to sing more, to sing louder. To sing with more meaning and more depth. To go back and, and realize, why, why am I singing? I'm singing about a person that these eyes have never seen, and yet I've seen him within the pages of this book for 44 years. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24, once again, not the whole verse, considering one and consider one another. To provoke. My brother even said that this morning. In one of his statements, he used the word provoked, and I was hoping to God that he wasn't going to steal my message. <laughs> Consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Now remember, this behavior called charity that's done between people. That's the whole reason why, why the translators kept that word. Because charity is taking God, what, the love of God that was shed on me and you, through Jesus Christ and Calvary and the resurrection. And charity is this love of God that we extend to each other. Charity done between people is the outworking of God who lives within us. So when I read down through here, charity and charity and charity, you could say God suffereth long and is kind. God is kind. God envieth not. 
You can go down through there. Because what we're doing with charity is we are working God. We've often said it kind of jestingly, and I hope it's jestingly, most of us, if we had not come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, wouldn't give each other the time of day. We wouldn't have met each other. Do you realize it's because of Jesus Christ and and this local assembly that we know each other? And we can call each other brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. We call each other the family of God because that's what the Bible says. But I want you to see something. Israel, and I'm going to go back, so go back to the book of Numbers with me. I think I'm going to start there. Maybe I won't. No, go to the book of Nehemiah. Ezra and Nehemiah. Find, uh, find the uh, Samuels and find the Kings. Find the Chronicles. Find the book of Ezra and then find the book of Nehemiah. And go to chapter 9 with me. Israel was repeatedly... Because the Bible says charity is not easily provoked. And I'm working my way into a thought this morning, God willing. Working my way into a thought. Because remember, to say charity is not easily provoked is the same thing as saying, because charity is the outworking of God in you. When you got saved... Don't ask me to explain it, but when you got saved, the Bible tells me the Spirit of God came to live within you. That's what makes you different. That's why a man would walk into an office, maybe with other problems and and situations on his mind, and trust Jesus Christ and walk out with a smile. Walk out, I know He, because I did it. You walk out, and all of a sudden, you you feel light. You have been unburdened. The weight of sin has been lifted. Never, now listen to me, never to be placed back on you again. And somebody says they can lose their salvation. That's like saying the weight of sin is placed back on me. And that's unbiblical. But Israel was repeatedly guilty of provoking God. They had provoked God. Often in reading, we find the phrase that the children of Israel had provoked the Lord to anger. Can you stop and think about that? God. And God multiplied dozens of times admitted, put it in writing, that Israel had provoked, had, had stimulated, and had done something to move God to anger. Their provoking was not beneficial. Their provoking was harmful. And it wasn't harmful to God. <laughs> it ended up being harmful to them. Provoked the Lord to anger. Now, I know I have you in Nehemiah. Stay in Nehemiah. Okay? Keep one finger in Nehemiah, because I just saw something in my notes, and I want to go there first. Go to Psalm 95. So put a little something. I will, too. Put a little something in Nehemiah. Go to Psalm 95. 
Because this provoking, charity is not easily provoked. What we're going to find out, that God was not easily provoked. He was provoked, but he was not easily provoked. But this behavior, this behavior of provoking God, Now remember, when we say Israel, we're talking about that chosen nation that started with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. God had chosen them. And then in Exodus chapter 12, the Passover story, God redeems them. But this behavior of provoking God had escalated. He's redeemed them. He's brought them out of Egypt, type of the world. And we know, at least most of us in here, only because we've been saved to read our Bibles, but we have some new believers here. They wandered in that desert for 40 years. And we're going to look at what God calls by a certain name, and their wandering in that wilderness was because of one thing. If you sit here today, and you do not sit here under our condemnation, but if you sit here today, one thing will keep you out of heaven. Just one. Just one. Just one. Just one. And we're going to get to it. But if you're here today and you're saved, you, you know Jesus Christ, there's also one thing, and it's the same thing, that'll keep you from enjoying and resting in Jesus Christ. Just one thing. But this behavior had gotten so bad. And it had escalated to the place where God actually called this, this behavior of provoking. He called it by a specific name. You know how you give certain names to certain things? Uh, Alcatraz came to my mind because I heard, heard something on the, on, on the TV the other day. Alcatraz got the nickname The Rock because it was built on an island, the prison of Alcatraz. It was off the coast of San Francisco. But it was called, anytime anybody who knows anything about Alcatraz, the name The Rock always comes up. I can remember there was a, I grew up, uh, I, was, I was born in 1950, so I can remember uh, my sister and my brothers listening to uh, one of those little records called 45s. And there was one... Uh, there was one quartet that sang a song called Dead Man's Curve. And it was a song about a highway that had this treacherous curve in it. And a couple went, the, a couple, uh, went, uh, the guy was driving too fast and, and cars would just right off the side of the mountain. And they called, it, they called it Dead Man's Curve. Golgotha, nicknames. Golgotha was called the place of the skull. Golgotha. But Israel's provoking had gotten so bad that it, it took on a specific name. It was called the provocation. What they were doing for those 40 years, and actually it was probably within the first year, took them to 40 years of wandering. Look at Psalm chapter 95. Now, if you're a visitor here today, And I'm going to get to this point, the Lord willing. You've already noticed, I keep telling you to turn. Turn in the Bible. 
Turn in the Bible. Turn in the Bible. Turn in the Bible. Turn in the Bible. Do you know that nine out of every ten Christians today, especially in the United States, don't turn to their Bible? You know, religion will never tell you, turn to your Bible. 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 Bible. You know why we do that here? Because we want you to know what God said. He's got great ideas. I'm right behind him in most of them. He's the, he, he, he gets us going. I'm three steps behind him and then I catch up. But you want to know something? Our ideas don't, aren't, aren't worth a gunpowder to shoot them in heaven. We're going to look at what God... We're going to look at today and you're going to make a choice. Obviously, you've already realized I didn't come here to entertain you. Your entrance into heaven hinges on one thing. And your rest in Jesus Christ, if if you've trusted him like Jimmy did last Wednesday night, rests on one thing. Look at Psalm 95. Now, this psalm starts out really good. I like this psalm. Oh, come, let us sing, verse number one, unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Make a joyful noise unto him. Boy, that's, that's great stuff. That's a fun, those are fun verses. For the Lord is a great God, great king above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is also his also. The sea is his, and he made it. Amen to that. And his hands formed the dry land. I'm shouting, getting ready to getting ready to run here a little bit. Oh, come, let us worship and know and, and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture. That's His. Israel knew that. Israel knew all this, and the sheep of His hand. Today, now watch this. It's going to change. It's going to go from a happy day to a sad day. Today, if you will hear his voice. Now, let me just stop here. First Bible Church, those of you who are in this building, today, if you will hear, we're reading God's Word. You're hearing my voice verbally, my human voice, but we're going to read God's Word. Today, if you will hear his voice, verse 7, look what verse 8, harden, wait a minute, we just had a great time of remembrance up in verses 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart as in, there it is, the provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work, 40 years long was I grieved with this generation. And said, it is a people that do err in their heart. And they have not known my ways. Now watch, because we're going to try to amplify and expand on all these. Unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. Now, go to Nehemiah with me. So we found the word provocation. Go to the book of Nehemiah. And 
And I want you to go to uh, chapter 9 with me. Probably didn't tell you that, but that's where I want you to go. Now, Israel has come out of captivity. Just quick, quick past. Israel's come out of captivity. Kings have given the, the Israelites in the book of Ezra the right to uh, rebuild a city. And Nehemiah, several years later, 14 perhaps, somewhere around there, is given the privilege of uh, putting the, the wall around. But he gets in, in chapter 9, and he begins to reminisce. He begins to remember. And in chapter 9, if you look at verse 15, now this is about... Hey, about four, four, uh, 440 years, 45 years B.C. They've come out of captivity, 606. Subtract 70 years, they've come out of captivity. Babylonian captivity. And Nehemiah now, he begins to remind people. And he says in verse number 13, actually number 15, let me start with 15. And gave us them bread from heaven, that was manna for their hunger. Brought us forth water from out of the uh, for them out of the rock for their thirst. Promised them that they should go in to possess the land. Watch that. Promised them. Promised them. Did you catch on to that? Don't forget that. Promised them that they should go in to possess the land. That would be the book of Joshua, which thou had sworn to give them. God had promised something. But they and our fathers dealt proudly, hardened their necks, hearkened not to, to, to thy commandments, refused to obey, neither were mindful of thy wonders that thou didst among them, but hardened their necks, and in their rebellion appointed a captain to return to their bondage. They said to, they said to Moses, they said to Aaron, it's better that we go back into Egypt. We're going to die in this wilderness. But thou art a God, now watch this, because God's not, charity is not easily provoked. Keep that thought. Keep that thought. Can I just say this to you tonight, today, this morning? Do you know why you're here? You may not realize that. God wants you here. You know why you can still breathe? Because God still wants air in your lungs. Amen. Somebody said amen. Glory to God. That little one's smarter than nine out of every ten of us. You see, God is provoked. Don't you kid him. We're going to look at something. Something provoked God. But God's not easily provoked. So thusly, when we act among ourselves, and I'm not even going to major on that one this morning, because I want to see you the root. Co- I want you to see the root cause of all this. For me to not easy, be easily, for us to not easily be provoked with each other, you better hang on to this one. You better filter everything through Jesus Christ. You better see that angry husband through Jesus Christ. You better see that angry wife through Jesus Christ. You better see those rebellious kids through Jesus Christ. You better, you better see that job through Jesus Christ. Everything on the face of this earth has to be filtered through Jesus Christ. God's provoked. But as we read this, watch. In their rebellion, verse 17, appointed a captain to return to their bondage. 
But thou art a God ready to pardon, gracious, merciful, slow to anger, great kindness, forsook them not. Yea, when they had made them a, a molten a calf and said, This is thy God. He's, Moses is up there getting the Ten Commandments. He comes down and, man, they've got this calf made and they're dancing around it and they've made each other naked and, man, they've got Woodstock all over again. See, I can find, I, you can find anything in the Bible. That's Woodstock right there. In the 60s. While I was getting drafted for Vietnam, these hippie, uh, flower-sucking jerks were up there, were up there condemning our young men. You let me run a rabbit trail just for a second. These guys were up there condemning the young men. It's one thing to condemn a war. But don't condemn the young men who are over there fighting it. While they were doing that, I was getting drafted for Vietnam. Enough of that rabbit trail. This is thy God that brought thee up out of Egypt and hath wrought, watch what, hath wrought great provocations. Now notice it's plural, provocations. Something was going to, all these provocations were going to lead up to a point where they were going to do something and God was going to call it the provocation. I like to read down, look at verse 20, 21 rather. Yea, forty years didst thou sustain them in the wilderness, so that they lacked nothing. I like that verse. You don't think you, you don't think you have what you, you don't have what you want. You think God's mean to you. They lack nothing. Their clothes wax not old. Man, I've got I've got I got clothes that I've worn for years and there's holes in them and I'm throwing them away. I like this. And their feet swelled not. You pregnant women. Your feet swell? Yeah. I watched my wife with three babies. Just, you know. Feet get hot in the summer? Your feet swell. Do you know what we just read? God took care of them. The Bible says none of their feet swelled. How about that? Now, now go to Numbers, chapter 13. Numbers, chapter 13. Now, we're, we're, we're leading up to something here, so stay with me. Stay with me. As an old preacher down south used to say when I heard him preach, I'm going somewhere, stay with me. Deb and I went to, uh, we like to go to IHOP on Mondays. I don't care what you think of IHOP, I like it. Amen. Amen. When we got this IHOP, we used to go to the one over at Menlo Park. And uh, for some reason, we changed and started going to one in Piscataway. Well, we got there Monday, and lo and behold, I see the parking lot's empty. And I see a bunch of guys working on the building. The place is closed. I'm hungry. <laughs> I want my eggs and my bacon and my potatoes and, and four slices of, uh, of French toast and 18 cups of coffee. Oh, God. And some of you didn't eat breakfast. And, and you're ki- this is killing you right now, man. This is killing you. And I'm with you. I'm with you. I don't even... What did I have for... I don't even... A piece of, piece of bread or something. I don't know. Well, we go there. The place is closed. 
I look at Deb. Where are you going to go? I'm going to start chewing on your shirt here. If you, if you, you know. And all of a sudden it dawned to me, oh, there's a diner just about a quarter mile down the road. Let's go to that diner. I don't know. Never been to that diner. You know, so I figured, let's go to the diner. But anyhow, I had halfway decent food. But I'm sitting there. And, you know, they got the placemat, those little paper placemats. And they got all kind of advertisement on it. So I'm reading everything, how to get your truck fixed and what to do this and how to fix your relationship with your girlfriend and da-da-da-da. It's all there. You, know, you get all that while you're eating breakfast. And uh, great place. You got to go there. Then I flip it over. Do you, you ever see little kids, uh, little, uh, like coloring books, where they have the outline, they have numbers, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and they make it a picture of a giraffe or a picture of an animal or a picture of the house. And what you do is you take number one and you get your pencil and you draw it to number two, and two to three. So I'm sitting there. I thought, well, I didn't have a pen on me. Okay. But there was something said. There was something said under there that stayed with me. It said, connect the dots and get the real picture. Ah, I got it. Oh, thank you, God. I get to preach next Sunday. I've got it. i got something uh, wonderful. That's... You know what we do here? You know, why we... you know why you got that book open? We're going to connect the dots. So that you and I, we come up with the real picture. Because you can start at Amboy Road way up the other end to go all the way down into Tottenville with Amboy Road. And if you ask ten people, you'll get a hundred different reasons. How do you get to heaven? Do you know anything about the Bible? Oh, Bible, you don't read that. Nobody understands the Bible. Are you religious? No, not me. Are you religious? Oh, yes. Do you read the Bible? No. You'll get 10,000 different answers as to the Bible and how to get to heaven in Jesus Christ. And that's just on one street on Staten Island. You know what we're going to do? We're going to connect the dots. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight. And then we're going to get the real picture. And then right at the end, God willing, I'm going to give you an illustration. Because it's still your choice. Go to, go to Numbers chapter 13. God has told the children of Israel that he wants them to go in and spy out the land. So he chooses in chapter 13, the verse, about the first uh, uh, 15, 16, 17 verses, he chooses a man from each tribe. So you got 12 men, and their names are in there. Now, and they go in and they see the land, look at verse 18. And we know that two of those guys, one guy was named Caleb, he was from the tribe of Judah in verse 6. Another guy was named Oshea, which was Joshua, he's there in verse number 8. And you go down through there, and in verse 16 says, These are the names of the men which Moses sent to spy out the land. Now, as I read this, I always ask myself, if I was going to get my name, is God, if God was going to put my name in his Bible, I wonder what he'd say about me. Because ten of those men got their name in, and it wasn't for anything good. And you don't even remember them. But you know who you remember? Caleb. And Joshua. And you remember what we read in Nehemiah? That God had promised. God had made a promise. That they were going to go in. And Joshua went in. Caleb went in with him. 
two men exercised something, we'll talk about this, that the rest of the ten did not. These are the names of the men in verse 16 who were sent out to spy the land. Now, if I can just, I flipped my page, maybe not you, but look at verse, look, look at verse number 20. And what the land is, so they, now, now stop, about, stop and think about this. God knew what was in that land, right? He made that land. But those Israelites didn't know what was in that land. But they knew that the land had been promised to them. 20 says, and what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, whether it be wood therein or not, be of good courage and bring of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of first grapes. I love this. You know this. This is a great story. So they went up and they searched the land from the wilderness of Zin unto Rehob as men come to Hamath. And they ascended by the south and came into Hebron where Ahiman and Sheshay and, and Talmia and the children of Anak, which were, if you continue to read, there were, those, those sons of Anak were giants. Literal giants. Not the New York giants. We're talking about big giants. One of those giants was Goliath. And if you do, a, if you do the math on a cubit that's 18 inches, he was 9 feet 8 inches tall. He dwarfed Shaquille O'Neal. Nine feet, eight inches tall on an 18-inch cubit. That was a standard. So they go in, look at verse 23. They come under the brook of Eshkol, and they, they cut down fence of branch. One branch with a cluster of grapes. Cl- a cluster. You know what a cluster is? Come on. Just a bunch of grapes in a cluster. You buy them, you buy them at wherever you buy your sh- do your shopping, Costco, whoever. Cluster of grapes. And they bear it between two, two men, upon a staff. That is one big cluster of grapes. And they brought of the pomegranates and of the figs. The place was called the Brook of Eshel, and on and on and on. Now, jump down. They returned from searching the land, verse number 25, after 40 days. 40 days. Now, if you read down through here, Ten of those men brought back a report. And if you look down at verse number 32. Ten of those men who were privy to the promise that God had made. Privy to the promise. So you know what, you know what the heart of this is? I'll just say it right now. We're going to find this out. Because once we get to the story about in Hebrews... It was called unbelief. Do you know God's interested in what you believe this morning? That holds, that, holds the, that holds the weight with God. And the reason we're connecting the dots is because I, somebody would say, well, you're condemning what I believe. No, 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 no. I'm connecting the dots on the book God gave us. That really should be the heart of what anything wants to be called religion. Just connect the dots, and you're going to get the real picture. Look at verse number, well, let me read 30. Now the ten saw the children of Anak, and in 30 says, And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to, 
to overcome it. Now, they both saw the same thing. They both saw the same thing. All all 12 of them were privy to the promise where God said, I've promised you that land. You go in. I've promised it to you. Ten looked at the giants and said, No way, Jose. It ain't flying. And they backed the horse up. And do you know why? Because they didn't believe the promise. Is it that simple? Well, let's connect the dots. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And let's see if we can't see the real picture of this. That's why on that sign it says, First Bible Church. Because if we're going to claim that we're telling people about God, you know, as I read my Bible, you've got to use the Bible. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. But I can even see that. I flipped the placemat over. Oh, my word, they tell me that's a giraffe. One, two, three, four, five, six, I'm done and boom, magic, I got a giraffe. Look at verse number 31. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against it. They are stronger than we... Yeah, but God had promised. Now, look what, look what God called their report. Because you remember back there in 1 Corinthians chapter 13? Charity is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Let's take it a little farther than what we, what we really think there. Because that unbelief, listen to me, that unbelief, the Bible says, and they brought up an evil report of the land. An evil report of the land. Now, look at, uh, let me see where I want to go with all this. Look at, uh, look at chapter 14 now. Look at chapter 14. Now, you've got the congregation, they lift up their voice, and they're discouraged. Verse number 6 of chapter 14 says, And Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land. Now, I want you, now, now, th- now think about this, because we're going to look at a verse pretty soon. Remember that word, they searched the land. You, when, when Pastor Mike or myself or Brother Kevin or Brother Pat Mishanya put all of our deacons, anybody steps into this pulpit, maybe they're not a deacon, do you know what? You know how we present a message? We search the Bible. Now, I read it every day. I hope you do too. If you don't, it probably shows. But I don't go, I, my, I got a, I got, he's got a library full of books, so do I. And every once in a while I'll pull a book out just to see what somebody thought. But 99 of everything, I might quote somebody else, but you know what it is? Search the Bible. Search the land. Search it. Search it. And after I was saved for about five years... Back there in the early 70s, you know what happened? I was started to be able to connect the dots. One, two, three, four. And the Bible came alive. 
I saw what the picture was. Joshua, they, they, they searched the land. They rent their clothes. Look at verses, look at, uh, uh, look at verse 37, excuse me, look at verse 27. Oh, stay with 27 and, and look back at verse number 11. I highlighted this one in my mind and didn't put it in my notes. But look what God says here. 1411. And the Lord said unto Moses, Now when God says how long, you got a problem. How long will this people provoke me? Now watch the rest of it. And how long will it be ere they believe me? How long will it how long is it going to be until you believe what you're hearing from this book? How long? How long is it going to be? Nobody's sitting in judgment around here on anybody. But how long? God's, God said to those Israelites, He said to Moses, How long that they provoke? What was provo- By the way, what was provoking God here? Their unbelief. You see, the murmuring and making the, the idol of the calf and the nakedness and the dancing and all that stuff that you read about there, that we don't have enough water, we don't have any water. You know what the bottom problem was? Unbelief. You have the most profound being living inside of you. He's the creator of heaven and earth. But you know what he does for you and I? He put the cookies. I'm only 5'7". He put the cookies. This little one right here? He put the cookies. If we put some Oreos down here, I can guarantee you that little one would smell them. And he'd run over there and eat them. And I'd eat them with him because I like Oreos. But you know what God did? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. You say, I don't believe that. That's right. That's what's keeping you out of heaven. Your unbelief. I know religion as well as you do. I've been here for almost 40 years. Say for Hail Marys and five Our Fathers or reverse them and just make sure you give enough money or do this with the, this religion or that with that religion and Baptists got religion and Methodists got religion and Catholics got religion and Lutherans got religion. And then I started to read the Bible. And God just said, connect the dots, boy. Just connect the dots. I put the cookies on the bottom shelf. Now, if you want to dismiss all that, that's your choice. I like being in America because you can still believe what you want. But you know what God wants you to see this morning? Just connect the dots. He was provoked because of unbelief. Now, that was his chosen people at the time. Unbelief. Now, look at verse 27 with me, as I said. Look what he calls. Now, it went from being, oh, here's the problem. It went from being in we talked about provoking one another to good works, edifying one another. 
Ten men came back with a bad report. It was called an evil report. Whatever you think about evil today, and it comes in all kinds of sizes and packages in the world that we live in. But do you know the root problem of all this, what we call evil? It's unbelief. Unbelief. They brought back an evil report. Look at verse 27. But you know what happened to their evil report? It bled over into the congregation. Look at 27. How long shall I bear with this evil congregation? Oh, it went from just an evil report with ten men. Now it's an evil congregation. Look down, look down around verse 34. Th- look at 33. Remember, they spied for 40 days, right? Okay, read 33. And your children shall wander in the wilderness 40 years. Bear your whoredoms until you, your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. The number of the days in which you search the land, even 40 days, each day for a year, and on and on and on. Look at verse 35. I, the Lord, have said this. I will surely do it unto all this evil congregation. Evil congregation. Now, go to Hebrews chapter 3, because we, we have to start connecting more dots. I've got 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, but let's go to Hebrews and get dot number 6. Go to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Now, the book of Hebrews is written to who? Oh, man, isn't that rocket science? I'm an amazing theologian, aren't I? The book of Hebrews is written to Hebrews. <laughs> so, we know that this book is probably, most likely, is a great tribulation book after the church is taken out. And they're not going to read Paul's epistles uh, up to up to Philemon, so they know that we know that they're because they're going to be in the great tribulation. But the story is still going to be Jesus Christ, and God's going to reach back into their Old Testament, our Old Testament. But we've accepted Jesus Christ; we know who the Messiah is. But they missed him, and they're going to pick him up in the great tribulation. Most of them will die. But look at chapter 3. Because Paul, and Paul's the writer. From everything I can see, Paul's the writer. I have no problem saying that. Go to chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. Now stay with me, because we're connecting dots. And I'm looking at my watch, just like you are. Just relax, you've got nowhere to go. This isn't Thanksgiving, the turkey won't burn. You're going to eat a ham sandwich this afternoon, just like me, and you're going to love it. You can give me peanut butter and jelly, and I'd be, I'd be happy. Just give me some cheese with it and a good black, cup of black coffee, all right? Chapter 3, look at verse 7. Wherefore, now, I want you to see there's a parenthesis. And that parenthesis moves all the way down to verse 11. So, by the law of the parenthesis, I could take it out and the thought would still go on. So, I could jump from the word there, wherefore, excuse me, in verse number 7, and go all the way down to verse number 12, take heed, brethren. But let me read it, what's in between, because what's in between is absolutely necessary. Harden not your hearts. Now, watch this. Didn't we say that the provocation 
It culminated, that provoking and that provoking and that provoking, culminated in those ten spies not believing what God had told them. Everything we say from this pulpit, listen to me, you better check your, you know why you have your Bible open? Because I want you to read it. I'm a man given to opinion like anybody else. God had promised them the land. Unbelief. One thing kept them out of the, the land of rest. That was unbelief. One thing they had to believe to put the blood. They had to believe. God told them, you put the blood, Exodus 12, as they were coming out to get out of Egypt. If they didn't put the blood, they didn't get out. Do you know that there were some Egyptians that put the blood? The Bible calls the mixed multitude. Those mixed multitudes, if you read between the lines, and you don't have to read too far between the lines, were Egyptians. They weren't unbelieving Jews. So there were even some Egyptians that just, they must have believed the truth enough. Everything hangs on what you believe this morning. That's why we've got to go to the Bible to connect the dots. Hebrews chapter 3. Harden not your hearts, excuse me, let me back up, as the day, verse 7, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if you will hear his voice, now watch this, today, 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 if, you were, if ye will hear his voice, you're hearing my voice audibly, uh, humanly, but you're hearing God, we're reading God's voice. The Bible talks about the voice of his words. Harden not your hearts. You say, I don't have a hard heart. Have you believed on Jesus Christ? You say, no, then you've got a hard heart. You do. And once again, I'm not condemning you. We're connecting dots. Harden not your hearts as in the provocation. In the day of the temptation in the wilderness, when your father tempted me, proved me, saw my works forty years, wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said they do always err in their heart. It, it started with the heart. And they have not known my ways, so I swear in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest. Now, we get into verse 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. You mean if I don't believe, I've got an evil heart? Yeah, that's what God said. Well, I never murdered anybody. I'm not a child molester. Well, I applaud you for that. I hope you're not. But you know what evil is to God? You won't believe him. Unbelief. Just unbelief. Whether it's unbelief to get me out of Egypt to be saved, or whether it's unbelief now that I'm saved to live. It all hangs. The economy of God hangs on the currency of believing. It's not, it doesn't hang on the currency of doing. That's already been done. The economy of God hangs on the currency of believing. Take heed, look at verse 12. Take heed, lest there be an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God. 13, but exhort one another daily, which is called today, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sins. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold from the beginning our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said today, 
if ye will hear his voice. Let me pause specifically. Today, if ye will hear his voice. You're hearing my voice audibly, but we're reading his voice. I'm connecting the dots. All week long, I said, Lord, just help me. Help me not to get off the track. I'm a, rabbi, I'm, I'm a shotgun preacher. You just throw 40 things out there, and if you get one, I'm happy. We've got to narrow this thing down. I'm trying to be like a sniper this morning. See, he's like the sniper. I'm like the, I'm like the old stagecoach guy with one of those sawed-off shotguns. You just point it, and boom! You kill about 18 people in one shot. But I said, Lord, if we're going to connect the dots this morning, I've got to stay focused. Harden not your heart, says in the provocation, for some, when, watch this, for some when they had heard. What happened? They did provoke. What was provoking? What was the provocation? Unbelief. For some, when they heard, didn't believe. Howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses, but whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? Now watch these last two verses. And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. You know what you have? You have God is not easily provoked. And there was an evil report that became the evil of the congregation. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 3, they erred in their hearts. They had an evil heart of unbelief. And then in 3.19 of Hebrews, it says they could not enter in because of unbelief. The entrance to God, the entrance to God either in salvation or the entrance to God either in rest after salvation, their entrance was denied by one thing. It wasn't a matter how good they are. Unbelief. The entire economy of God rests on the currency of belief. Can I take you to John chapter 11? John chapter 11. Please go quickly with me. Once again, I'm going to say little and and read a lot here. Go to John chapter 11. I have to ask myself, how far would God go for somebody to believe? How far would God go for somebody to believe? For his creation to believe, how far would God go? Well, the Bible says God was manifest in the flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the... And we, he dwelt among us. He was manifest in the flesh. He lived with one purpose... Heading to Calvary to redeem. But in all of that stuff going on, along the way he wanted people to believe. 
And as you sit here today and I stand here today, He has one purpose for us being here today. One purpose that you and I might believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to John chapter 11 and look at verse 15. I won't read all of this. Jesus had a friend, and his name was Lazarus. And he had two sisters. And Lazarus died. And if you go down through here, he says in verse number 6, he told them in 4 that the sickness was what not unto death, but for the glory of God. 6 says, when he had heard, though, heard therefore that he was sick, you know what he does? He abode two days still in the same place where he was. That seems cruel to me. On a human level, that seems cruel. When somebody is sick unto death in this place, and him or I or both of us or another one of our guys or ladies get a phone call, you know what we do? We stop everything. Person sick unto death, we get to the hospital. We get to the home. But Jesus did something that on the surface just didn't seem right. They questioned him about it. He stayed there. And in verse number 11, says, These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth. Lazarus has died. But I go that I may awake him out of his sleep, out of the sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death in 13. 14 said, Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Look at 15. How far would Jesus go so that you believe? He let a friend die. He resurrected that friend. But he let that friend die. Because he told them up in, up in 4, for the, he's, he's died for the glory of God. But look at verse 15. There's, there's a word there that just pops out to me. As I was studying early this morning again and putting my notes, I had notes all over the place and I had to put them in some type of order to show the picture. Look at 15. I am glad. Now, I am glad. Lazarus is dead. I am glad, in verse 15, for your sakes, that I was not there. Why are you glad, Savior? Why are you glad, Jesus? To the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. And he resurrects Lazarus. But you know why he let him die? To the intent that everybody around him might believe. That he had the power to bring him from the grave. Can I show you, can I take you, uh, can I take you to John chapter 9? John chapter 9. John chapter The blind man, John chapter 9, verse 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, 
Who did sin? This man or his parents? Had to be a reason. Somebody has sinned. Isn't that what we think most of the time? Somebody gets sick unto death. Oh God, I wonder what sin they did. If you think that, you need to stop thinking that way, by the way. Because you want to know something? Let's continue to read. Jesus answered, neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents. Are you reading it with me? Look at verse number 3. That the works of God should be made manifest in him. You know, God let that man be born blind. Why? So that the works of God, it says, might be made, should be made manifest in him. Now, notice it says the works of God. The works of God. Go back to John chapter 6. Jesus Christ is interested in what you believe today. And the reason we're opening this book is because that's what Jesus Christ used. And I'm going to end with, with four verses real quickly. But I've got you in John chapter 6. Because when I open this Bible and I start connecting the dots, I come out with a clear picture of what God wants me to see. I come out with a clear picture of Jesus Christ. And I can tell you from personal experience and your experience that no religion on the face of this earth today or anywhere in the past will give you a clear picture of God. Because religion doesn't do that. But when I open this book, you know what's amazing to me? It's just a book, folks. What are you afraid of? You think about it. I'm kind of realist in my thinking. It's just a book. Now, he used to say when he was flying on the plane, if you don't want anybody to sit in the seat beside you, just put your big old black 866 uh, book on the, on the seat, and everybody will walk by and, oh. <laughs> They'd sit in the toilet before they would sit on, on that seat. It's just a book, folks. But the truth of the matter is, it's not just a book. You know why I believe it? Because everybody's afraid of it. Some of you are afraid of it today. And I'm not, I'm not belittling you. You don't want me to lie to you, do you? How many of you today want me to lie to you? How many? I'll say it again. How many of you say, Bro, Pat, I deliberately want you to lie to me today? Okay, there's not a hand up. So let's connect the dots, shall we? Okay? Look at John chapter 6. Now, you know that man was born blind so that the works of God might be manifest? The works of God. The works of God. Look at John chapter 6. Look at verse... Uh, now, you've got a whole bunch of people. This, this chapter is the bread of life, and they're coming to Jesus, and he's telling them in verse 27 of chapter 6, don't labor for the meat which perishes, and on and on and on. But look at verse 28. Then said they unto him, now watch this answer. You, you, want, you want to do something for God today? You want to work the works of God. That man was born blind, that the works of God might be manifest. They said unto him, verse 26, I want you to read it. 
Don't, don't, don't stare out the window and don't look at me and don't look at your neighbor and don't think about your lunch and don't think about your, your girlfriend or your wife or your girlfriend and your wife or don't think about any of that stuff. Get your mind focused. Because if I miss a dot, if I jump to one, two, three, four, six, ten, I'm not going to get the clear picture of the animal. Look at verse 26, 28. 6, 28, I'm sorry. Then said they unto him, read it for yourself. What shall we do that we might work the works of God? What do we do? Don't we all want something to do? Even religion says, do, do, do. Give your money, give your time, give, your, give everything you got. Give it, give it, give it, give it. But look what Jesus said. Do you see Jesus answered there? Do you see what... Uh, oh, oh, listen to me. I'm serious. I'm getting a little passionate about this. Do you see what it says there? It doesn't say Mike Veach said, Pat Dean said, Eddie Keeley said, Mike Lewis said, Margaret Veach said, go on down the line. It says, and Jesus, Jesus, Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. Man, I got a clear picture of this animal. Oh, it's a pretty, it's the prettiest thing I've ever seen. It's not an animal, it's a person. Oh my word, it's Jesus Christ. It's a, lamb. it's a lamb. Who said that over there? Somebody, you, gave me, you gave me my next point. It's a lamb. It's a lamb of God. My word. Go to John chapter 5. I got you in John. We're going to wind this thing down. We got plenty of time. Quit watching your watch. You let me do that. I'm just as hungry as you are. Probably even more so, because I'm working hard. <laughs> a couple of guys said to me last time, you know, when you come out of the pulpit, you don't, you're not really quick to talk to people. You know why? I'm spent, man. I'm just flat spent. See, I can't preach calmly. I just don't have that in me. You know. Oh, how I love Jesus. No. i got to sing. That's just me. So if I don't come out and greet you from the pulpit, I'm not mad at you. I'm just flat spent. And I'm hungry. Yeah, I'm spent and hungry. Those are two, spent and hungry. Man, just leave me alone. Give me a, give me a peanut butter sandwich. Look at chapter 5 now. What did I, what I tell you to go? What I, yes, John chapter 5, verse 39. You remember they were supposed to search the land? You remember, you remember God had told those Israelites, those 12, go in and search the land. Search it. Because what you're going to find, oh yeah, you're going to find some giants. But you're going to find these grapes that they're bigger than your arm. You're going, to, you're going to find, oh man, milk and honey. And it's a great land. God never gives you a desert. <laughs> we create our own desert most of the time. Look at John chapter 5. Look at verse... I'll get there. Stay with me. John chapter 5. Look at verse 39. 
he's talking about the, the indwelling of the Spirit here. And, and I just want to read 39. And uh, what am I reading? 39 and 40. Stay with me. John chapter 5. My word. Why can't I find John chapter 5? Okay. There are four witnesses that are going on here. Two resurrections. Four witnesses. Starting with verse 33, John the Baptist was a witness. You can read that. The works that God was doing, Jesus was doing, was a witness in 36. The Father was a witness. But jump down to 39 and 40. Because Jesus Christ is going to give you the fourth witness. And I want you to notice what he says here. Those 12 men were told to go in and search the land. Two men came back with a good report, ten with an evil report. It bled over into the congregation, an evil congregation, and for 40 years they wandered. Do you know what Jesus Christ says? Are you with me there? Everybody with me? 39. Search the Scriptures. It's called your Bible. You say, yeah, but I was brought up in a certain denomination. Me too. I was brought up a Baptist. Some of them good, some of them, you know, which flavor do you want to be? If somebody is going to put religion over their door, if somebody is going to say, we, we, we're going to take you on to God, you have to go back to what Jesus said. And if you don't go back to Jesus, what Jesus said, then hold on to your wallet and run as quickly as you can in the opposite direction. Poof. Because he said here, search the Scriptures. Watch. For in them you think. That's not a wish or a hope. That's think. Use your brain. Think ye have eternal life, and they are they. Watch. And they.